This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, once again. As usual, I must warn you all that this year's Halloween show is very, very scary, and those of you with young children may want to send them off to bed. Oh, my. It seems the show is so scary that Congress won't even let us show it. Instead, they've suggested the 1947 classic Glenn Ford movie, 200 Miles to Oregon. There is nothing wrong with your podcast player. Do not attempt to refresh your RSS feed. I am in control now. You should have listened to Marge Simpson. What you are about to witness is indeed quite scary. So scary that it goes beyond mere delightful frights. The 2018 Halloween Spooktacular is in fact quite hazardous to your health. So if you wish to see tomorrow, I suggest you find the nearest exit. If you don't, then your brave souls will belong to me. <laughs> Wait, where are you going? Oh, oh, come on, guys, don't leave. I was being dramatic. It's not that scary. Guys, come on. I, I get paid on commission. I need your souls to pay my rent. Guys, come on. Ugh. I knew I should have stayed in grad school. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and today I am joined once again by my good buddy, my good pal, the man who always knows that relic is killer spelled backwards, Garrett Kidney. Garrett, welcome back, man. You ruined a whole bit I was going to do later. I was going to oh, literally no. spend 10 minutes getting to Relic, but we went, we went straight there because we're spooky today, Andrew. Yeah, this is indeed a spooky time of year. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But uh, I, I was thinking actually earlier, I suppose for this episode, it would make a lot more sense if we go by Andrew Witch and Scarrett Kidney. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do gimmick Twitter names, but I was actually thinking a couple of weeks ago, like if I did a, twi- a Halloween-related gimmick Twitter name, what it would be. I couldn't come up with anything, and now you've given me Scarlet Kidney. <laughs> listen, listen. When you need some macabre punnery in your life, when you need wordplay, I'm your man. All right, I- I'm the guy. I'm the master. I know a lot of people groan at my wordplay and they roll their eyes, but. That's the price I have to pay, all right? This is my gift. This is my curse, Garrett. 
I'm just scary, spooky. Or are we spoopy? With this, uh, t- it, this technically qualifies as spoopy, doesn't it? What the hell does spoopy mean? It's a, an internet meme word, which I think means like scary but fun. All, all these memes, Garrett, they they pop up every minute. I, I can't keep up with them. There's so many different internet meme words. It's hard to keep up. That's fair. Hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up. But uh, yeah, uh, welcome back, Garrett. It's always great to have you on the show. And uh, usually when you're on the podcast, it's to discuss the theme history of some uh, legendary wrestler from the annals of Impact Wrestling history. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, of course, low-key. But this time around, you are here on episode 45, and it's the 2018 Halloween Spooktacular, where we pay tribute to some of wrestling's spookiest scariest, most hair-raising, and Halloween-appropriate gimmicks, themes, or in some cases, both. But before we get to all that, Garrett, I'll start us off here with a question. Uh, What are your thoughts on Halloween itself? Uh, Are you a king of darkness? Evil? Do you enjoy the Halloween season? Or are you a Zack Sabre Jr. who thinks that Halloween is rubbish and you can't be bothered with the the ghouls and the goblins and so forth. Well, first of all, it's important to note we invented it. That's that's always important. That's Halloween true. Is a, it dates back to a, a Gaelic Celtic festival, so it's ours, and you took it from us and commercialized it. <laughs> monsters, but I like I liked the the aesthetic of Halloween more than I like the idea of or like the execution of Halloween because Halloween it's either young people having a good time or drunk people in like slutty nurse costumes. Uh, one of those is pretty good. The other, well, I guess it depends on your perspective whether or not that's pretty good. But I, I'm indifferent to Halloween. Yeah, I spoke uh, last year on the first spooktacular episode with Chris about my own feelings about Halloween. And uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it as a kid. And uh, now as an adult, it's lost a bit of that magic, the specialness to me. But uh, still, I don't mind Halloween. It's still a pretty fun time of year. And uh, you're right. Actually, Gary, I looked this up earlier. Halloween does have its roots in Ireland. Uh, the ancient Gaelic festival of Samhain is where Halloween uh, originated from, which is uh, pretty pretty cool. Um, would, would, you, now, would you like me to correct you on the spelling or the pronunciation? Is it Samhain? It's, it's Samhain. Oh, <laughs> I was way off then. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> yeah, that's well, it's Gaelic slash Irish. We, we have unpronounceable languages. It's fine. So, like, we unleashed Saoirse Ronan on you, and like, Saoirse is an <laughs> unpronounceable name. Uh, actually, actually, you just ruined my joke with oh. your uh, correct pronunciation. I was going to say that with you being the Impact Wrestling aficionado, you would prefer the festival of Sam Shaw. Ah. <laughs> Folks, tip your waitresses. Come on now. We could we could have put a Sam Shaw theme song, and he's like spooky serial killer if we wanted to go to a, a different, whole different category of spooky. Well, there's always next year. There's always there next year. But uh, Now, uh, let me ask you something else. Have you ever been scared by pro wrestling? I, I don't mean like, you know, bad botches or accidents. But like, you know, scary wrestlers or uh, scary cafe moments, perhaps? I don't know. When I was a youngster, there would have been like the Ministry and Undertaker. It would have been like late 90s, early 2000s. And there was like Undertaker was the only spookiness you got going on then, wasn't there? Yeah, I suppose that was the spookiest thing around at that time, probably. Um, maybe something like WCW, like you know, Seven, 
But I, I was never a WCW kid except one time on holiday in Spain when uh, I watched a Terry Funk hardcore match on TV. It's like, oh, look, it's wrestling. This is terrible. <laughs> so, so wrestling has caused a different kind of horror in that regard. <laughs> All right. So let's get into these Halloween themes, the Halloween spooktacular. Uh, now, on last year's episode, we only played five songs. And this year's list is uh, also quite short, only six songs this year. And again, like last year, each song belongs to a wrestler or wrestlers whose gimmick relates to a classic Halloween archetype in some way. A a character that is related to horror or spookiness or macabre or what have you. So while the song itself may not be the scariest, uh, creepiest song ever, as evidenced by uh, one of the songs on today's episode, actually. What's important is the wrestler, or I guess the gimmick, I should say, is connected somewhat to the spirit of Halloween. Uh, And of the six songs today, Garrett, half of them are actually impact themes. Uh, After I made the list, I realized that three of the ones I picked are from various points in time in impact history. And truth be told, I could have picked more. Because, you know, there, there are quite a few spooky themes uh, and gimmicks throughout Impact's history. Uh, Black Rain, Triton, uh, Relic, which of course is killer spelled backwards. But I did show some restraint, Garrett, and I did uh, keep the Impact themes to three uh, this time around. You could have had Decay, you could have had uh, Mahabali Shira, but again, different kind of terror. Uh... <laughs> well, I, actually, I played <laughs> the Decay theme on the Taste of 2017 episode. Ah. So I have featured them on the show before. Which was, but, was that um, Left Behind or Marilyn Manson? It was Left Behind, the ripoff of the Manson song. You see, I was so mad at the time. Like, I was like, oh, the Marilyn Manson theme was so important to the act, but I'm now a big fan of Left Behind. It has grown on me. Well, it's so close to the original, uh, so I guess it makes sense <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> Really, I just have to punch myself in the ear a few times. It's the same. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Garrett, if you're feeling brave, uh, then let's get to the 2018 Halloween Spooktacular. You are brave, right, Garrett? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I think I'd be inherently a coward. Like, if, if any of the people on this list came up to me with that theme, with their theme song playing, I'd probably run in the opposite direction. Discretion is the better part of Valorant. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we'll kick things off here. A little old school. Uh, back in the days of early 1992, the WWF is riding high in the friendly skies with Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, Undertaker, Bret Hart, British Bulldog... But little does the WWF know that a new evil is about to darken their doorstep. A diabolical voodoo priest, learned in the wicked ways of Papa Legba and Baron Samedi, was about to unleash his dark magic upon the World Wrestling Federation. His name, of course, was Papa Shango. And so skilled in the dark voodoo arts was this man, Garrett that Papa Shango had the ability to shapeshift into various forms later in his career, including a supreme fighting machine, a black militant gangsta, a fun-loving pimp, a reformed pimp who was somehow now a bad guy 
in the backwards world of pro wrestling, <laughs> and then back to being a fun-loving pimp afterwards. So let's hear the theme of Papa Shango, released on WWE Uncaged 2. This is the Shango Tango. Shango, he's not a very hard character to comprehend. You know, he, you take one look at him with the face paint, the bone necklace, the top hat, the skull, and all the bric-a-brac associated with his character. You get the gist of who he is. He's this voodoo witch doctor guy who is meant to be an unsettling figure. And, that, and that's what this theme is, too. It's very unsettling. The sparse bongo drums that give off an exotic feel, the uh, the booming synth drops that come in and shake the ground when they hit, the bursts of shrill noise that hit like a knife on a chalkboard, the slow methodical pace of it all that pulls you in and doesn't let go. Like Papa Shango, it's not an overly complicated piece of work. The structure, the tone, composition are all relatively simple, but when you put these pieces together, you make a song that, like a lot of villainous or spooky themes, is meant to instill fear in people and to heighten the anxiety in the room. And I think that this theme accomplishes that task uh, very well. I take one major problem with it. Let me guess. Uh, the title. It's called the Shango Tango! Where's the tango in this song, Andrew? There's none! See, my problem with the title is that it doesn't actually rhyme. It's not Shango Tango, it's Shango Tango. So you... And that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> it, it's a sight rhyme, but it's not a real rhyme, okay? <laughs> so you either have to mispronounce Shango, or, or Shango as Shango, or Tango or Tango as Tongo. I think you have to mispronounce Shango. <laughs> Because Tongo, you can't just go around saying Tongo. That's no, decent. no. You'd you'd look like a fool. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I think if you go to parts unknown where Papa Shango is from, which, as it turns out, as you realize, is Las Vegas, <laughs> uh, which I think that adds up. But if you go to the woods of Las Vegas, parts unknown, and listen, listen very closely for a very long time, you will hear this theme song playing those woods, Andrew. The woods of Las Vegas. Come on, Garrett. It, it's the desert for crying they, out loud. <laughs> they have some, like, inorganic trees there or something. They don't have to be real woods. Yeah, if you go under a palm tree in Las Vegas, you might hear the spookiness <laughs> of Papa Shango's theme. <laughs> you'll just hear those drums start kicking in, and it's like, oh. And then you'll be attacked by a witch doctor. <laughs> um, I think what also makes this song pretty effective is that it has this 
this kind of ancient, exotic, tribal quality to it. Uh, this mm. is not like rock and roll. It's not hip hop. It's not new wave. This is a song from another time and place and and culture, and that that, that fear of the exotic, the other, is a very common fear that has lasted for millennia. Uh, you you know, person X or item X is not part of my own culture. I don't understand it, so therefore I am afraid of it. And this eerie, haunting music that sounds like it's being played over some voodoo ceremony is certainly not from our modern civilized culture here in the west same with papa shango he's a character that is based on baron samity this haitian spirit of the dead who has all the the voodoo accoutrements that is not a figure that we are comfortable with he, he is not from our world so every time this music hits and shango comes out it does make us feel uneasy and unsafe because it plays on those fears of the exotic invading our world. Um, I know that's a little heady for a Papa Shango theme, but I think it's true. Yeah, and it, as he said, it's just it's just unnerving. It makes you feel uneasy, which does fit this creep with the face paint who wants to control you with his hands or whatever voodoo is. What's voodoo? <laughs> I, I don't know cultures. I'm the very person you're talking about. I'm like... What is voodoo? You stab me in the face as a doll? That, that's that's more or less what you do, right? I don't know. I, I think it has to do with maybe blood magic or uh, chanting and, and dolls. I, I'm Jewish, so I have I have no idea what voodoo actually is. So, <laughs> Is there like any Jewish equivalent? What's like the spooky Jewish festival or holiday? Is there one? Well, I don't, I don't know about spooky, but we do have this holiday called Purim. Where it's kind of like our Halloween, actually, where we dress up in costumes and play games and eat pastries. I went to John Stewart today, and he he did a very good bit about how all the Christian festivals are about candy and happiness and eating things, and all the Jewish festivals are about like suffering and pain. <laughs> and he is a, and his his his. That's uh, about right. Yeah, yeah. And his wife is Jewish, or is Christian, and he's Jewish, and basically his wife is the beloved family member just because of that divide. Here's every Jewish ceremony. We suffered, we suffered, we suffered, let's eat. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much how it goes. You gotta you gotta stick to your you gotta stay true to your past. You you can't forget the suffering. You can't we're just We're a suffering people, but we're also a hungry people. That's that's our way. You can't just gloss over it by putting pumpkin on top of everything. <laughs> uh I, I do like the fact that we're starting off here with Papa Shango's theme because it does set the trend for some of the other wrestlers on this episode, actually. And that trend is a wrestler having a character that is on one end of the spectrum, and then over time, they develop a new character that is on the other end of the spectrum. Because, don't forget, Papa Shango is the same guy as Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine, who is the same guy as Kama Mustafa from the, uh, the, the Nation of Domination... Who is the same guy as the Godfather, who is the same guy as the Good Father from Right to Censor. It's all one man, Charles Wright. And regardless of how good a wrestler he was, spoiler alert, not good, oh. uh, it's remarkable, I think, how he was able to transition to all these different and unique characters and make them work to various levels of success. That level of versatility, I think, is something that 
every wrestler should have as a skill in one form or another. Uh, and Charles Wright had versatility and not just the characters, but also the music as well. And that idea of versatility and coming up with new characters and new music to fit those characters is very much evident with the next few wrestlers on our list here. You are a world-class segue machine, I have to say. That is that is finding a through line between the things we're talking about, like a, a, a true podcasting professional. I do my best, Garrett. I do my best. You do a fine, wonderful job, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's go over now to your neck of the woods, uh, your neck of the woods of Las Vegas, Garrett. Uh, <laughs> Impact Wrestling for the first of three Impact themes on this episode. And one of the more common gimmicks in wrestling, certainly a lot more common than the voodoo priest, is the unstoppable monster. The irresistible force that destroys everything in its path can withstand a ton of damage and is usually led to the ring by some conniving manager who uses this monster for his own gain. And when you think of the unstoppable monster and Impact Wrestling, the first wrestler that comes to mind is the Monster Abyss. And for most of his tenure in Impact, Abyss has used this theme by Dale Oliver. It's called Down in the Catacombs. to touch on first with this theme is how it it differentiates itself from other quote-unquote monster themes because I think a lot of monster themes are composed much like the monster wrestlers themselves. They're these slower, denser songs that make up in weight and aura what they lack in speed or dynamism. You think of the classic Undertaker theme. You think of the Earthquake theme. You think of Awesome Kong's theme, even Mankind's old theme. The list goes on and on. But what I love about Down in the Catacombs is that it bucks that trend. This song has a sense of urgency to it that so many other monster songs don't have. Right away, it starts with that great string arrangement, that dun 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 that immediately drops us into the main riff of the song with the metal music. No lumbering intro, no slow build-up. It's an immediate and symbolic descent down the musical scale into the pit, into the danger zone. And now, bam, here comes Abyss. And 
and that urgency is present all throughout the song. There's no subdued B section, it's just nasty guitar riffs and diabolical strings all the way through. And I love that urgency because it's not only a warning, it's not only telling us to watch out because here comes Abyss, it's also a good reflection of Abyss himself. Because Abyss, he's not some lumbering oaf, he's got some energy to him, he's got some pep in his step. Maybe not so much nowadays, after he's taken God knows how many bumps, but if you go back and watch Abyss in his prime, in like the mid-2000s, that was certainly the case with him, Garrett. There's like a, a frenetic, almost like psychotic energy to the theme song. As you said, a lot a lot of uh, monster theme songs are kind of like, they go for imposing, you know? It's like, it's a monster, so it's like, durr, 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 monster. Or is this is just like, this guy's just, we're just, he's cut loose. He's a weapon of mass destruction. We're letting him loose onto the world. Of course, longtime Impact fans would know this was originally Monty Brown's theme song, and it does not fit him whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but they just added, as you said, that opening riff that's like Abyss is here. And I, I think like the most important part of any theme song is the first like three seconds, because that's that's what gets the reaction. And like the second that hits, it's Abyss, you know, and I'm, I was all so mad any time in the, his impact run when he didn't use this theme song. Cause he yeah, had, I was going to bring that up in a bit. Yeah, he had like American Made for a while, which is like, what the what the hell are you doing? Uh, and then the uh, the new 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 one, I didn't like that either. But uh, this this is the Abyss theme song because the second that music gets, you saw the Bound for Glory. Like people people hated James Elworth on that show. That crowd <laughs> detested him. But Abyss's music hits and like, woo, it's Abyss time. I'm into it. Of course, inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame recently. Uh, a tremendous tremendous wrestler, a wonderful person, and. If we want to talk about spooky stories and spooky characters, there's Abyss. There's a ton of, ton of, ton of stuff in the Abyss's history from the entire, from his introduction with James Mitchell, who was part of a, a group that we'll talk about a little in a moment, uh, to, to the, the saga around the end of his relationship with James Mitchell, to he had a psychotic break for a while and spent a time in a mental institution, came back in a jumpsuit. Um, then, of course, there, there we jump forward to the Joseph Park split personality. So there's a whole other thing. And then there's the decay period. Abyss. Abyss has just went full psycho multiple times. And I, I, I looked back on my, what, what month is it? July 28th, 2016 review of Impact for Voices of Wrestling, in which I listed all of the match stipulations Abyss has had in TNA history. So, of course, like there's the famous ones. There's Monster's Ball, which is, you know, as classic as you get. There's Doomsday Chamber of Blood, which that's a little heavy-handed. <laughs> like, if it's a Doomsday match, you get it. It's a Chamber of Blood match, you get it. Doomsday Chamber of Blood. Ugh. Can I guess some more? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, there's uh, the Last Rites match. Yeah, you see, if if it was anybody with you, I would have played a game of real or fake with these. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure you'd get most of them. Yep, there's Last Rites. There was the, I think it was the Tag Team Thumbtacks match. Is that right? Yes, the, the match of match of ten thousand tacks. Okay, uh, barbed wire massacre. Two of the, he's had two of them. There's been three. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, he was in the dog collar match with Raven. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in you know every iteration of street fights you can think of. Yeah. Um. Oh God. Uh, what else is there? Uh, he was in uh, the Foley's House of Fun match. That's right. That's right. Foley, the the prison yard match against Sting. There was, of course, the very famous Stairway to Janice match. Oh God, yeah. 
Uh, there was also Full Metal Mayhem. Full Metal well. Mayhem. He's done casket matches. Casket match, yeah, yeah. If you remember, the original Last Rites was put him in a casket and they raised the casket to the roof. And the second one was with D'Angelo De Niro, right? Yep. Um, there's also Valley of Shadows as DK. They had a Valley of Shadows match. That's a lot of match types for one guy. <laughs> oh, we're not even done. There's Hangman's Horror, oh, which I think is a variation on the dog collar match, but it's spookier sounding. Where you had to hang the guy. Yeah. Yeah, there's Final Assault, Serengeti Survival. Oh, yeah. I remember that one with uh, Monty Brown. Yeah. Uh, of course, we have to mention Shop of Horrors, which featured the debut, Andrew, of uh, Relic, which is Killer Spell Backwards. And I have not mentioned the most famous of his gimmick matches, besides the chair and a pole first blood match, or the beer <laughs> bottle and a pole match. There's, there's so many of these. <laughs> but the most famous, of course, Christmas 2007, the Silent Night, Bloody Night, Barbed Wire Christmas Tree match. This, what a career the man has had. He's as spooky as he gets. A very iconic character with so many match types. <laughs> Um, we're, we're getting off track here, Gary. We're getting off track here. Back to the song. <laughs> the song! <laughs> uh, yeah, what I like about this theme as well is how grounded it feels. Because when you look at Abyss's character, he was never presented as this mystical being. He's not Undertaker or Kane or Bray mm. Wyatt or whatever. He couldn't levitate, didn't have magic powers. He still came off as a monster in the sense that he was a big tough dude who was sadistic and strong and used thumbtacks and glass and took a lot of punishment but still kept going. That was the over-the-top monster side of him, but it never went too over-the-top. It never went too fantastic. It stayed fairly grounded. Down in the Catacombs is just like that. Uh, Those industrial tones, the chunky guitar riffs, This isn't some spooky, ethereal, mystical song. It's aggressive and gritty and realistic. That's probably why it's called Down in the Catacombs, because it sounds like a song that is just covered in dirt and grime and soot and has that toughness about it, that that rugged quality to it. The only notion of musical drama in it is probably the strings. But even then, those are not overpowering the metal aspects of the song. So that that drama acts as a garnish rather than the main course, I guess you could say. And well, like his presentation, you'd always have Mike Tanay and Don West talking on commentary about how he got the, he gets like blinders. You know, they, they're, they don't present him as this unbeatable, unstoppable monster. Whenever he lost, they're like, he got fixated on this thing he wanted to do and did and end up losing. And I think that's almost like they're in the theme song. It's almost, it's imperfect. It doesn't really make like musical sense, which kind of fits the character. I suppose. I mean, uh, anytime you're mixing classical orchestration with modern industrial metal it it makes for an interesting song that's for sure but truth be told this is actually one of my favorite tna slash impact songs of all time i mean it just gets me pumped up when i hear it and it also brings back so many just fun memories of my first few years of watching tna and 0405 and discovering guys like abyss and enjoying the hell out of it uh in fact i would say And perhaps you'd agree with me on this, uh, Garrett, that 2005 was the best year that Abyss has ever had in his career. Between the Jeff Hardy feud and the match he had with AJ at lockdown, 
the Raven feud, the Sabu feud, and uh, getting Father James Mitchell as his manager, nothing really comes close, in my opinion, to 2005 Abyss. Uh, especially the whole aesthetic as well, with the black mask and the black v-neck shirt, the chain around his neck, him doing the arm pose with the fire going off, and Mitchell shouting, Doomsday! to tell Abyss to hit the black hole slam. Just a bunch of, of fond memories from that time period, Garrett. Even the part of his entrance where he usually pushed over the cameraman, which is a thing he stopped doing and it kind of annoyed me because I always like people that have iconic parts of their entrance like that. But yeah, that, that 2005, I've watched most of the 2005 impacts relatively recently, which as you said, uh, summer of 2005 is when, he, is when he get James Mitchell as his manager. And the AJ match is one of the best matches in the history of impact. Never mind freaking 2005 or lockdown. It's one of the best matches in company history. That match rules. And like Abyss 2005 is as good a big man as you'll find anywhere. He's so good. And I'm always mad he got pigeonholed as the hardcore guy. And that, that did kind of happen that year. Or it's like the Raven feud was all hardcore stuff and then transitioned to the Sabu feud, which obviously ended in Barbed Wire Massacre. Then went on to a Rhino feud, which was False Count Anywhere, which was that was into 2006. But also that False Count Anywhere match from against all odds 2006, great match. But yeah, that era, that look, that, that abyss with the theme song, of course, is... Uh, one of my favorite characters in the history of Impact. And then, of course, then it went downhill and there was all the... Which, I don't know, the the shooting the mother in the back and that James Mitchell is actually his father, all that fun stuff. It's silly and absurd in hindsight, but it kind of ruined the character in the moment. But that two years before that were phenomenal for Abyss. He was, he was great. Yeah, that whole storyline was a little too Undertaker Kane-ish for my liking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's bad enough that before that storyline, people were already comparing Abyss to Kane. But when you put that stuff in there, it's like, you know, the troubled childhood and having his manager be his dad. It, it, it just becomes way too close a comparison. But um, yeah, Down in the Catacombs is a great theme. And like you said, Garrett, whenever he doesn't use the song, it, it pisses me off. Because Black Hole, which is the song you were thinking of uh, that starts with the, the gong. Again, comparisons to Undertaker. I actually don't mind the song in its own right. It's a pretty decent song, but to me, it's not on the same level as Catacombs. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, for the most part, Impact has not strayed from the path. Uh, even with all the changes to Abyss over the years, uh, the mask changes, the gear changes, face, heel, whatever, Catacombs has been the Abyss theme. Sure, there were some exceptions like Black Hole or when he was in Decay or The Revolution or American Maid, which oh, American the Maid. less said about that, the better. <laughs> but it's, it's undeniable, really, how when you think of Abyss, this song comes to mind immediately. Mm. I just, yeah. Anytime he like went away for a while and came back, I was like, please use Sound of the Catacombs, please. <laughs> Don't use the, the terrible black. Well, ter as you said, Black Hole, it's a perfectly fine theme song, but it's just not Abyss. Right. And like, if it was Abyss's theme song from the start, again, it would probably be a perfectly fine theme song for him, but it's just not Abyss. And uh, American Made is incredibly stupid. And I'll, in, in fairness, I was fine with Decay, because Decay worked for him, it worked for the trio. So I think if they came out to Abyss's theme, it might not have actually worked. Whereas uh, 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 left, uh, left, Alive, left Alive, yeah. Left Behind. <laughs> left Behind, I knew the name of the theme 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Left Behind and the Marilyn Manson song really worked for that group. So I was okay with that run. 
But even like when he was with Storm and the Revolution, they were using the Revolution theme. I'm like, Ugh. which the Revolution theme is neither as good as James Storm's or Abyss's theme, which is always the worst case scenario when you have two people in a tag team who use a new theme song that's not as good as either of their individual theme songs. But this, it's it's the iconic Abyss theme, as I said. No matter when, no matter where, this music hits. Like he came back earlier this year when James Mitchell summoned him to face Congo Kong, and like James Mitchell's amazing, and that group back together just just out of sheer nostalgia with, of course, the theme song. It's like it's perfect. I loved it. And if you watch that match, has like five million views on YouTube of this against Congo Kong. That that's insane. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned this earlier as well. It's very appropriate that we're talking about Abyss's theme now, because Abyss was just inducted into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, which I think he wholeheartedly deserves. I mean, the bumps alone, he probably deserves to get in just based on that. But there are a bunch of other reasons, too. Um, he's an incredible performer, whether as the barbaric monster Abyss or as the comedic character Joseph Park. He's adept at both of those roles, uh, which, again versatility he's been a company guy since the beginning you know he he started with impact 16 years ago on the very first show and he's been with them ever since he's a triple crown and grand slam champion he's been involved in so many major storylines and angles and feuds over the years and throughout all the regime changes and the network changes and all the bullshit abyss has been there and he's flown the flag for impact wrestling so yeah i'm pretty happy that the guy is getting his moment of recognition. I'll go into corporate chill mode for a moment. His full 20-minute speech is up on YouTube. Go watch it. Seriously, his, his Hall of Fame induction speech is tremendous. It might make you cry. It's very emotional. And I think true to him as uh, as a person, he talks a great deal more about what the other people did for him than what he did in his own career. He is a, a true, a, as you said, they, they say, you know, you give your blood, sweat, and tears to something. He, he literally did far far more than he probably ever needed to. And if anyone deserved that Hall of Fame induction, that's him. Up next, it's time to talk about a villain. And in wrestling, just like in movies and TV shows, you have the tried-and-true dichotomy of the brave, valiant heroes who are fighting for what's good and right in the world, and the dastardly, despicable villains who are out to destroy our heroes and have their day in the sun. For every Superman, there's a Lex Luthor. For every Laurie Strode, there's a Michael Myers. And for every Yoshitatsu, there's a Bone Soldier. But we're not here to chat about those pairings. Our attention is turned to THE villain. Armed with his trusty umbrella and penchant for breaking fingers, it's the Birdman himself. No, not Coco Beware, and no, not Michael Keaton. I'm referring to Marty Skrull, and Marty's theme in Ring of Honor, New Japan, and elsewhere is by Hot Tag Media Works. It's called, appropriately, One True Villain.
like with Abyss's theme, there's not a lot of urgency with this song, but then again, it doesn't need that, because what this song has in spades is presence. The way that it's composed and the way in which it uses its elements is so effective and clever as well, because how I see it, the song is sort of constructed like a scene in a horror movie where you have the beginning with the piano notes. That sets the tone right away that something bad is going to happen. Then the strings come in and that elevates the tension as well, but we're still not sure what is going to happen. And then you hear the elongated note, that sound effect that plays every time the killer is about to strike. And then just like that, the switch is flipped and we get a barrage of noise coming at us all at once. The maniacal laugh, the whoop whoop, the piercing percussion, the booming synth notes. When that main body of the song kicks in, it's very similar to a jump scare in a movie where the killer jumps out at you and he starts to attack his victim. So I think it's really cool how Hot Tag Media Works constructed this song like this and gave Marty's theme such a presence and such a big epic feel to it, even when the song itself is technically quite minimal in terms of composition. And Marty, you know, for all his comedy shtick and flapping his arms and whatnot, he's still the villain. And when this song hits and the lights go down and that spooky black and white video plays on the screen and Marty comes out with his garb, it tells us point blank that this guy is not to be messed with. It's funny you went on the extended horror metaphor because I saw Halloween last night, the the sequel just released this year. And the opening of this theme song reminds me a lot of that classic Halloween theme. You know, the the the, the piano, fair enough. The Of course, if you had a scene in Halloween, you know, Mike Myers is stalking his prey. He's out there with his knife. It, it, the Halloween theme kicks in. It's like, doo, 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 doo. I think it would be undercut if it was like, doo, 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 doo. whoop, whoop. <laughs> I think that would kill the dramatic tension of any <laughs> horror film. <laughs> but it, it did remind me of that. It reminded me of that Halloween theme while I was watching it last night. And it's... Uh, do you think Marty uh, Marty would do well as a, like a, a a crazy like plague doctor Halloween villain? I think that would work for him. He's got the look for it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember actually when Marty first started uh, using this song, I was actually kind of annoyed because he stopped using his previous theme, which was the remix of Warp 1.9 by the Bloody Beatroots. <laughs> That's a great song, and like with so many other guys, when they sign with a major company like Ring of Honor, and they have to stop using their mainstream song in favor of a different song that uh, you know that that won't get the company sued. Uh, it, it's annoying, but now that I think about it, with Marty, I think the change makes a ton of sense because the Warp 1.9 remix, while it is a, a darker song than the version he used as Party Marty, it still has a lot of 
energy and, and dancey momentum to it. Kind of like the early years of the villain character, because the early presentation of the villain had the fur coat, the round sunglasses, and this bouncy entrance theme. Yes, he was a bad guy and he was breaking fingers and whatnot, but the presentation was still a smidge too far into the Party Marty circle. When he went to Ring of Honor, though, the villain character took a much darker turn because that was when he started wearing the, the top hat and the plague mask and the black trench coat. And even if ROH was able to use Warp 1.9, in my opinion, it would not fit this new, darker, kind of rustic version of the villain. Whereas one true villain, I think, fits current Marty Skrull to a T. You want to know my big problem with the song? Go ahead. I think it's a sometimes song. What do you mean? Like, I think this team is too epic to use every night. Like, like there, there's too much build-up. There's too much anticipation. I think he has. To, uh, he should rework a version of this theme that is just, like, get straight to the point and then uses this version for big matches. Because could you imagine, like, if it just went straight into the Whoop Whoop theme song uh, most of the time, but it's like you come out at Wrestle Kingdom and you have that full intro with the uh, with the entrance video, with the, the, the whole Birdman plague mask stuff uh, appearance. I think that would work so much better for him than using this every night. Because I remember I was at OTT when he was last there. And it's like, this theme rules. I think it really works for the character. It really works for him. But he was working a mid-card match against, uh, I think it was Jay White. And it's just like, it's too important. It's it feels too big. It feels too important for that kind of setting. I could see where you're coming from. Yeah, like, uh, like the big-time theme doesn't necessarily fit in with, say an opening match that goes like six minutes or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. I guess you can liken it to Dragon Gate, where they have the regular old themes, and then for special occasions, they've got the big match theme. Uh, I think I always had the same problem with Nakamura's theme, and that the, the, the big, like, the, the longer intro to that before they obviously changed it. Wait, but, is New Japan theme? Or no, obviously that... his good wrestling theme by the Fed, <laughs> not that New Japan theme. Not that that drivel from the Far East, thank you very much. That you heard in 2008 on TNA Impact against, or TNA Explosion, sorry, against Elix Skipper, a match we unearthed it from the archives relatively recently uh, that most people don't even know happened. But um, yeah, I had the same problem with Nakamura's The Re theme, where the, the long do, do, do intro, I, th I always felt would have worked for SummerSlam and Mania or whatever, instead of like the, the, the full theme, uh, instead of every single night. Same with Finn. The, they, I think they've done that with Finn, actually, haven't they? They've edited that down to where it's just whereas if he needs to come out as the, the Demon King or whatever, they'll play the long intro the version yeah. where the lights go out and so forth. And I love I loved the idea of having special occasions themes. That, that, you know, when we want to make this match feel big, we have the theme song that people over time will realize this is the big match theme song. And for Marty, it would that would so work with this theme. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that mentality. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this, this theme, it's like, it's so weird to look at that transition from like Party Marty to this. And you, like, you'd look at Party Marty, imagine giving this theme song to Party Marty's girl. With him coming out doing the fist pumping and like super energetic and super, and like the thing, how well this theme song fits him now compared to, it's just the transformation of the character and the transformation of him over what that that year in like 2013, 2014 or around then, give or take. 
And it is quite amazing. Like, as I said, imagine giving this theme song to him in 2013. That would have been absurd. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this song would not work with uh, British boot camp finalist Party Marty Skrull. I don't think. <laughs> I was watching his because he wrestled Spud in the like finals, uh, quote, quote unquote finals match of that show. And like he's he's very he's so broad he's so full of energy and people that gave out about that that Spud won Spud was the rightful winner of that show by the way watch that show Spud should have won and he did but you see Marty and Marty Skrull and he's so broad and full of energy and like now you see him he's so composed you know he, he's control of the room instead of trying to get control of the room there's such a difference yeah no doubt Marty becoming the villain was such an awesome and smart transformation on his part and it's it's weird to think where he would be now if he didn't become the villain. But uh, here's something that I was thinking about earlier. Who is Marty Skrull's nemesis? Will Ospreay. And as amazing and as compatible as these two are as opponents, visually and morally, the two are polar opposites. Because Marty is the dastardly heel, twirling his mustache, dressed all in black. Will is the noble face, who is dressed in bright colors and clean-shaven and honorable. So it makes sense then that their entrance music would also be a Styles Clash because Will's song, Elevated, is upbeat, triumphant rock and roll. One True Villain is this dour, gothic soundtrack to a nightmare. Even before ROH and New Japan, their music was different because Will had uh, Shoot the Thrill by ACDC and Marty having Warp 1.9 those two songs could not be any more different from each other. Uh, so I love the fact that Marty and Will are presented as these generational rivals, and their differences are evident not only in their actions and their looks, but also with their entrance music. It's a nice little touch, I think, uh, Garrett. Both themes are by Hot Tag Media Works as well, aren't they? No, Elevated was done by It Lives, It Breathes. Ah. I was going to put them over for understanding characters, but never mind. You clearly don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You would know who did Will Ospreay's theme because I played it on the Taste of 2017 episode, which you clearly did not listen to. I'm, I'm just touching. Uh, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't touch on the songs you touched on in that episode. And you call yourself a friend. For shame, Garrett Kidney. I, I feel shame most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so on last year's Halloween Spooktacular, uh, one of the archetypes that we looked at was the evil cult, the group of baddies, often wayward souls and outright misfits, who are banded together under the auspices of a charismatic leader with ill intent. Last year's evil cult was the Dungeon of Doom in WCW, but this year's evil cult is from Impact Wrestling, and the great thing about Impact is is that there are plenty of evil cults to choose from. You got Serotonin. You got The Gathering. You got The Revolution. You got The Cult of Lee. You got The Menagerie. Uh, any other Impact cults you can think of, Garrett? Oh, God, The Menagerie. You just gave me horrible flashbacks. Because <laughs> <laughs> didn't they play the Menagerie theme song over the whole match? Is that a thing they did? That I, I did not watch any of that stuff, so no clue. I'm pretty sure that's the thing. And it was like full evil Psycho Circus theme. And it's like, duh, 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 while they were wrestling, it's like, no, never. <laughs> this this is not a thing any human being needs in their life. But in terms of, of horrible cults, you could say Immortal was a cult of Hulk Hogan. Oh! Uh, <laughs> got him. 
Um, uh, Christian Coalition was kind of a cult. If your name is in the, na- the title of the stable, it's kind of inherently a cult, isn't it? Well, in that case, uh, the Anglo Alliance would also fit the bill. Quality alliteration there, by the way, isn't there? There is, yes, but uh, not with this evil cult that we're about to talk about right now, because the evil cult du jour is the disciples of the new church, who were around in the early years of the promotion from 2002 to 2003, and in a nice little connection here, Garrett, they were led by Father James Mitchell, a business manager. So the new church theme is by Dale Oliver, and it's off of NWA TNA The Music Volume 1. It's called Take You Under. Wait, that's, that's the Wizard of Oz. Hold on. <laughs> that's the same thing. Imagine if James Mitchell was in the Wizard of Oz. He'd be great, wouldn't he? Shut up, Dorothy. It's time to go to hell. Cowardly Lion, Doomsday. <laughs> you want a heart, Tin Man? I have lots of them in my, in my cupboards. Oh, man. So, take you under if this isn't the blueprint for the evil, satanic cult wrestling theme then I don't know what is, because you're checking off so many boxes. Spooky organs that play the Dracula melody at the beginning. Check. Weird, distorted sound effects. Check. Satanic chanting. Check. Heavy metal. Check. Lyrics written by a wrestling composer who thinks that they're, like, dark and edgy, but they're actually not, very much a check. So you put all those things together, and you get a remarkably cheesy song like this. My question to you, Garrett, is, do you love this song as much as I do? Oh, it rules. It's like, as you said, it's literally a song about hell. This, this is like, we're writing a scary theme where we want to invoke the feeling of scariness. It's just like... Catacomb. Actually, by the way, down in the catacombs, catacombs of evil. What was Dale Another Oliver connection. have to there do you with go. catacombs? <laughs> He's just like, oh, catacomb people. Oh yeah, dead people. That's that's how I got it. I'm, I'm really rolling. Screams of pain, crazy train. It rather's Take you under. <laughs> it's like it's 
stupid. It's it's so on the nose. It's if you were to like satire horrible, well not even horrible because it's great, but uh, like uh, spooky theme songs or theme songs for spooky cults. This would be it, and it's amazing. It's like feel the heat, a fire on your feet, because you're in hell. Get it? It's yeah. It's not one of Dale Oliver's most sophisticated lyrical outputs, shall we say? I don't think Dale Oliver has it. No. <laughs> have you listened to Brooke Tessmacher's "Its You Touch"? There, there is, there is nothing sophisticated about that theme song. Oh god. I went through the song and I counted all the distinct lines in it. I counted nine distinct lines in total that are just repeated all throughout. The catacombs are filled with souls. That's right where you're gonna go. Well, night and day are filled with black. Chains of pain strapped on your back. Whoa! Can you feel the heat? Whoa! Fire on your feet! Whoa! With screams of pain! Whoa! On the crazy train! And then, of course, take you under, take you under, which is said like 50 times in the song. And yeah, those are all the lines in the theme. But that said, it still gets across the characterization of the group. They are hellish in nature, and they're going to make their opponents suffer greatly. So... Good job, Dale, I suppose. And the version you sent to me is like three, three and a half minutes long. And as you said, nine lines does not sustain three and a half <laughs> minutes. As I'm sitting here listening to it, it's like, ooh. I'm not sure it's someone loop it or something, but like that, that song is not designed to be listened to for three minutes. But I love it. I, I can't help it. I just love this stupid, cheesy song. I mean, I remember back in the day, when I was perusing the interwebs for wrestling themes, and I came across this song. And, and I had no idea who the new church was, of course, but I just really got into the song. Because that's what music does to us. Sophisticated or not, cheesy or not, the right sounds can hit your brain and make you forget about all that stuff. And just make you feel. And I think if this podcast has done anything for me... It's made me a lot more comfortable admitting that I enjoy a lot of groan-worthy wrestling themes. And you know what? That's okay. Especially when they're this catchy. You can't write it, but I, I dare you find a better song about hell than this. And also, they, they returned for a one night only in like 2013, and they used this theme song. And I, was, I think it might have been an instrumental version of it. I believe you're correct. Yes, yes. Which, it's still catchy, even without the horrible lyrics. It's a, it's a decent tune adding on uh, death lyrics about about hell. As you said, song about hell. What, you can't get more spooky uh, for a group that features Slash, Sin, Brian Lee, Malice. Brian Lee really needed to change his name there, didn't he? Okay, <laughs> thank you for bringing that up because I want to ask you something here, Garrett. Okay. The thing that always confounds me about the new church, and keep in mind, I have not actually gone back and watched their run in Impact but I look at photos of the new church, and they're dressed like, you know, proper Buffy villains with uh, the black leather and the, the makeup and so forth. Mm -hmm. James Mitchell looks like Satan with the red suit on, the eyebrows. They all have, like, these singular evil names like Sin, Slash, Malice, Tempest. And yet, for some reason, Shane Douglas is in the group. Yes, the <laughs> franchise, Shane Douglas. Garrett, I'll defer to you here. 
Why the hell was Shane Douglas in a satanic cult stable? I think it was more a loose association because it was during the period where Shane Douglas was feuding with Raven, which led to their famous hair versus hair match in which uh, uh, James Mitchell scalped Raven with the wrong side of the blades and literally cut his head open in a brutal, horribly violent scene. But I think they just made more for like, like loose, loose associates, you know, with a, a common enemy. Kind of like uh, Bannerman from Game of Thrones, where they have like these close alliances, but they're not necessarily related. Yeah, Vampiro was there for a cup of tea too with them all, making things more spooky. Yes. <laughs> Still though, it's a weird thing to me that Shane Douglas, of all people, was allied with the new church. You know, Shane Douglas, the franchise, the clean-cut ace of ECW for many years, yeah. and there he is palling around with Devin Storm and The Wall. It's The Wall, <laughs> brother! Very strange, Garrett. He'd fit, do you think he'd fit in if it was like Dean Douglas? Do you think that would be closer to what they're going for? Well, teachers can be scary. That's a fact. Yeah. So... So we're going to stay in Impact with this next one and talk about a psychopath, which is another Halloween horror movie archetype that was covered on last year's episode. Last year, the psychopath was Psycho Sid, a very appropriate choice. This year's psychopath is a bit different because it's a woman. Now, I know the trope of women be crazy, right, is one that has been used a tad too often over the years when it comes to the female wrestlers. And it is cliche, and it is annoying. But in some cases, women actually do be crazy. Especially with the next wrestler, Tara, aka Victoria in WWE, who for years and years, her whole gimmick was that she was psychotic. Her theme and impact is by Dale Oliver, featuring Goldilocks on lead vocals, which is another fun connection there because... Goldilocks was an on-screen personality during the early years of TNA. First, she was a backstage interviewer. Then she became a valet for a few guys, one of whom was Abyss. So this theme song for Tara was released on Emergence, the music of TNA wrestling, and it's called Broken. song in relation to the other songs played so far it doesn't sound all that spooky or scary it's just like a female-led rock song but remember what i said at the beginning it's not necessarily about the song itself it's about the gimmick it's about the character and tara's character for a good portion of her career whether in impact or in wwe was that she was unstable violent psychotic living on the edge 
but she never got to the level of, say, Nikki Cross. She wasn't like a rabid animal who was climbing up the walls. She was still quote-unquote normal in that sense. The fact that she could keep it together just enough to not go completely feral. The crux of this song is very similar to that, I think, because it's about someone who is like Tara, who is broken, and they understand that about themselves, and it hurts. But at the same time, part of them loves it. The first verse goes, I have something broken, shattered, but still, I love it. At times, it leaves my heart frustrated, but it's a habit. And you can totally picture Tara feeling that way. Yes, I am violent. Yes, I am broken. Yes, I do bad things. But these bad things make me feel good. So I'm going to keep doing them. And that may not be as blatantly scary as, say, a voodoo priest or a monster. But that kind of mentality is still very dangerous, Garrett. All the things she said, all the things he said are still running through her head no matter what, Andrew. You can't help it. This is not enough! <laughs> <laughs> Look, if, if you listen to this theme song, you'll, you, there, there is a, a like, like an aural similarity to that Dirty mm-hmm. theme, as is kind of Dale Oliver's tradition. But yeah, it's it's she's crazy, but she's not like super crazy. She understands she's crazy, but she also has a pet tarantula named Poison. So you're like, all right. That tips you off a little. Anybody that has this pet spider is a creep. I'm sorry if you, uh, to all our listeners that have pet spiders, you're creeps. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did, I didn't do this. You did this. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think what gives it maybe more of an ominous tone, perhaps, is that that sentiment is kind of universal, I think. I, I mean, not all of us are running around hitting the widow's peak on people or being creeps with a pet spider named Poison, but we all have our vices, we all have our bad habits, and unless you're completely off your rocker, you understand that these vices, these bad habits, are not good for you, and they make you do things that are unpleasant, but you still do them, because they make you feel good. They scratch the itch. And for Tara, or Victoria, or whatever, that itch just so happens to be beating the crap out of other knockouts. So I think all of us have the potential to become broken. And that's a scary thing to think about, uh, Garrett. Andrew, I have a horrible confession to make. Let me guess. You watch too much Impact on Pop TV? There is no such thing. You can go to Global Wrestling Network right now and watch all the Impact you do. Hey, synergy. All right. (laughs) I'm looking at my notes where I wrote down the word Tara next to the word spider. Oh, tarantula. this this is slightly embarrassing. Wait, Andrew. you didn't realize that, that until again. just now? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, I feel very stupid at the moment. You call yourself an impact expert. Get the hell out of oh here. God. Yeah. That's, that's I don't know how I didn't notice that for the what like five years she was in TNA. Please tell me you knew that Bret Hart called it the sharpshooter because he's the hitman. Hey Andrew. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> okay, my worst one, and I, I only read this after a while, Paul Bearer was what I didn't get for like 10 years. <laughs> these these very good wrestling puns just go straight over That's my head. Very... I'm just a monster. <laughs> the Paul Bearer one is one, really. That's that's not even like subtle. That's on the nose. And still, he's a Paul, but oh my God. Oh my God, Garrett. You know, I think you should get a few points 
docked off your license for that one. For for, the, for my my TNA lore license. Yes. <laughs> I for not noticing. It's short for tarantula. As again, she has a pet spider. That uh, it's 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 right there. It's just sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you go on the Impact Wrestling YouTube channel, you can watch the entrance video for Broken, and the entire video is literally. Just the word Terra surrounded by spider webs. There's another big clue right there. <laughs> I would have wrote the theme. Uh, see, I wrote the description for that. And I would have made it to, I would I probably would have like put those puzzle pieces together of Terra Tarantula had I realized it. Well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go in and edit the theme song description. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to make a quick point here about the song and its uh, closeness to all the things she said by Tattoo, which was her WWE theme for a few years. Because the songs are a bit similar. Both songs do start with that moody synth line that... And have a line from the song in the uh, the intro which leads into the chorus. With Broken, it's I Feel Something Broken. With Tattoo, it's I Have Lost My Mind. Both songs are sung by women. Both of them are popish rock songs. Obviously, the lesbian overtones are a lot more substantial in one song than the other, but at the same time, both songs are about having to deal with internal strife and the complicated emotions that come with that. So while it's not a completely blatant ripoff like other Dale Oliver songs, it's still taking a few pages from the old Tattoo playbook. And to be honest, I was kind of thinking whether or not I should use all the things she said instead of Broken. Because I think that song would also be appropriate for this episode. But what gave Broken the advantage was the fact that in Impact, Tara's whole spider thing seemed more appropriate for Halloween. So I went with Broken. How do you feel about the back to the back sequence of this song? Feels I am plucked. perplexed. I, I can't lie. It's just a different song all of a sudden for a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really gel with the tone of the rest of the song at all. You know, it, it's like it's like Dale accidentally spliced in a clip from a different song altogether. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange. It's like it's just even aside from the lyrics, it's it just becomes a totally different song for about twenty seconds there in the middle of it. <laughs> Maybe it's like he was afraid he would be accused of plagiarism, so he's like, all right. I'm going to take more or less the same song, and I'm just going to plump a bit in the middle, and it's like, look how different it is. <laughs> Dale's in court like, Your Honor, as you can clearly hear, the tattoo song does not have the back-to-the-back -the -back section in it, so you can't convict me here at all. 
The judge is like, damn it, Dale, you, you skated again. Case dismissed. <laughs> Dale's in front of that court every two weeks. <laughs> Let's move on now to the final theme on our list here. And we're going to go back to the 90s with this one. And we're also going to go to World Championship Wrestling, WCW. And in the mid to late 90s in WCW, if you asked the question of what was the scariest, what was the doomiest and gloomiest, what was the most bone-chillingly destructive force in the entire company, then there was only one true answer. And that was Hulk Hogan's creative control. But, 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 you go down a few rungs and you would find Mortis, which is Latin for death. And Mortis, who was managed by James Vandenberg, a.k.a. the Sinister Minister, a.k.a. Father James Mitchell, so yet another comes together. connection to Abyss on this episode. Mortis was this undead skeleton warrior dude. Looked like a Mortal Kombat ripoff, and he was brought in to fight, well, another Mortal Kombat ripoff, Glacier. So Mortis, a spooky-looking guy who had some spooky music to boot. It's by Eve Dowdle, Arden Hoffheins, and Randall Thornton, those three titans of wrestling music. And it's called, simply, Mortis. start this song off with a, a very traditional Halloween sound, the spooky organ, which is found in pretty much any classic horror movie from the golden age of cinema, and has been parodied and referenced so many times over at this point. And as the song moves along, you might think to yourself, okay, it's just going to be the organ from here on out. Then things take a turn, because that drum roll hits, and then the organs get this burst of energy, then you hear the guitar start to ramp up and add its own sound to the mix, and about 50 seconds in, this just furious guitar solo kicks in, and the song goes nuts, and sounds kind of like a Deep Purple song, and then it dies down a little bit after that and goes back to the organ, and then the shredding kicks back in, and so it started as an old-school, traditional, spooky song, ended up having a lot more testosterone to it than I expected, Garrett. I had a very similar experience. The first part of the song is like Dracula's theme, you know, it's like, duh, 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 duh. it's like, I know tales from the crypt and the start of Mortis' theme song. And then it kicks into like a full Castlevania theme song, 
Like if you if you boot up like Castlevania Four Simon's Quest, which by the way the theme song for that was great in the first place, and you just drop this theme on top of like the opening level when you go into the castle, it's like this is like a full Castlevania theme song, and it rules. I love this so much. I've I've my familiarity with WCW is limited to like random stuff that's been on WWE Best of DVDs. I, I didn't watch WWE or WCW at the time, so I, I'd have never seen Mortis wrestle. I'm not like Mortis. He's someone I should seek out. Skeleton Warrior, you say, in the La Parca genre. <laughs> so so uh, when I heard this song, I was like, this song is amazing. And if you watched Mortis in the ring, you could see how a song like this was quite fitting for Mortis beyond just his look, because when you look at Mortis, you see the campy skeleton warrior gimmick, but in the ring, he wasn't some schlub. I mean, Mortis was Chris Canyon, and Chris Canyon was a hell of a wrestler. So the Mortis theme existing in two worlds, the cartoonishly scary organ music and the kick-ass rock music, is a mirror of sorts for Mortis, because he was a cartoonish character, but he could still kick ass in the ring. And I uh, see you mentioned Randall Thornton, which is very close to Randall Orton. So I'm just going to believe this is a a, 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 he changed his name slightly so people wouldn't realize it was him as a child <laughs> making this theme song. Yeah, yes. A, a 13 year old Randy Orton wrote this song. Yes. It's like Orton, Orton, Thornton, th- 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 or, or Thornton. There we go. <laughs> um, here's a little tidbit for you, actually. When Mortis took off the mask and just became Canyon in 98, he got new music, which was this this regular generic rock song. But it started with the same organ that was in the Mortis theme. And then after a few seconds, the organ faded down and the rock music kicked in, which sort of symbolizes the transition from the monster that was Mortis to the man that was Canyon. I assume the theme song then sucked because, well, all WCWC. That's why I'm shocked at how good this theme song is, because there's like five good WCW theme songs. You know, most of them are like the most generic stock tracks, you are stock rock tracks you can find in your life. But this rules. This is amazing. And it's not just like dur, 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 rock theme, which I assume is what his theme song ended up becoming. I don't know. <laughs> well, you're not wrong there, uh, Garrett. That's that's pretty much what it was. Uh, I, I think the only actual good thing about the Canyon theme was that when he went to WWE during the invasion, he kept the WCW song, but they dropped the organ entirely, and his theme started with Who better than Canyon? Who better than Canyon! And the answer is none. None better than Canyon. So, um, yeah, rest in peace to Chris Canyon. He uh, sadly committed suicide about eight years ago, which was just terrible because he was so talented. And uh, he actually did have an impact connection because he wrestled there against Raven in 2005 as Chris K. Also, do you know who Chris Canyon's protege is? Who he passed the Mortis gimmick to even? Hmm. I I don't know. Who was it? It is Brian Cage. So you oh, have another really? impact connection there. How about that? 
If, if, if Brian Cage ever brings back Mortis, I'm bloody well making sure he's using this theme song. <laughs> I'm not a man. I'm a Mortis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want him to do that now. All right. That was the 2018 Halloween Spooktacular, taking a look at some of pro wrestling's terrifying tunes. And, you know, as we all get ready to celebrate Halloween in our own way, whether it's staying in for a night of scary movies, or going out trick-or-treating, or attending a fun costume party with friends, or just engaging in some light-hearted mischief and mayhem, I think it's important that we all remember the three rules of Halloween. Number one, stay safe. Number two, eat all the candy you want. And number three, and this is the most important one of all, relic is killer spelled backwards. Remember that, Garrett. It's so important. I once recently, as I run the Impact Twitter account, and I searched for anybody who said the words relic on Twitter <laughs> and responded to all of them saying killer uh, relic is killer spell backwards. So that's what I did with my day once. <laughs> <laughs> From the official core for the count, just to write some wrongs. Oh, boy. Uh, Garrett, I think you are both the right man for that job and also the wrong man for that job <laughs> all at the same time. I think time. that is 100% true. <laughs> I think the urban legend is that if you say relic is killer spelled backwards three times in the mirror, then Johnny Stamboli gets a royalty check. I think that's how it goes. I think that's that's fair. Also, I'm not sure if it's still there, but at one stage, if you searched the words killer spelled backwards on GWN, you got every pay-per-view relic appeared on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another thing I did, just because... <laughs> Those algorithms are incredible, aren't they? <laughs> they? They can just read your mind, can't they? Oh, man. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And Garrett, thanks again for being here. It's always, always a pleasure when you're on the show. And I could, I could talk to you about wrestling for hours on end. So thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine, sir. Any plugs, go right ahead. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. My name is extinct in Ireland, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, you can listen to my podcast, uh, the, the, the Weekend Show, releases weekly on the weekend. It's fairly self-explanatory. SoundCloud.com forward slash TWSKK or search TWS Network on iTunes. And of course, corporate plugs, Impact Wrestling, every Thursday night at 10 p.m. on Pop. Uh, follow Impact Wrestling on Twitter, which is where you'll see all my fantastic daily work. <laughs> Tweeting. <laughs> you know, uh, all kidding aside, Garrett, I've said it before, I'll say it again right now. You are the perfect choice to handle Impact's social media because only a super duper diehard Impact fan like you, like Garrett Kidney, would spend all his time on Twitter finding people who said relic and responding with relic is killer spelled backwards only you sir only i am psychotic <laughs> yes <laughs> and music of the mat is part of the voices of wrestling podcast network home to some excellent podcasts like the voices of wrestling flagship shake them ropes five star match game wrestlenomics radio sarah and sarah and plenty more check them all out at voicesofwrestling.com Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. You can find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Garrett, I hope you have a wonderful Halloween, and I hope that the Festival of Sam Shaw goes off without a hitch. <laughs> you really brought it all together there. You really stuck with the, the, the joke. Callback City, baby. <laughs> all right, for Garrett Kidney, I'm Andrew Rich, and to all the listeners, happy Halloween. Be safe out there. Relic is killer spelled backwards, and we'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Come together, together as one. Come together for Lucifer's son. Come together, come together, together as one. Come together. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.